We're working our way through the Eightfold Path. A great teacher divided the path up into eight parts. And everybody remember what the eight parts are? The Eightfold Path? No? Does everybody know what the three divisions are on the eight? Sort of. Sort of? Wisdom. Yes, one of them is wisdom. Virtue. 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 Great. Yeah. Meditation. And meditation. Exactly. Yeah. Or sometimes we say concentration, but meditation is a little more appropriate, a little more general. So of the eight, now the wisdom division has two. Anybody remember those? Right thinking. Yeah, right right thinking or right understanding. And it's right intention. And then the virtue division, which is what we're talking about right now, there's three parts to it. Right, right speech, right speech. And yeah, it's right speech, right action, and right livelihood. Yeah. <laughs> and the meditation division is right effort, concentration, right concentration, and right mindfulness. Okay, so we're 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 on the we're on the right speech division, and that that division has four parts to it. Uh, well, actually, it's got more parts to it than that. But often, the way right speech is presented as uh, not engaging in wrong speech or refraining from engaging in wrong speech. The wrong speech has four, there's four different categories. Remember those? False speech. Harsh speech. False speech. Harsh speech. Idle speech. Idle speech and gossip. Divisive speech. Yeah. So last time we talked about false speech and I ask you to all, between that time and this, practice, use this as a focus for mindfulness in your daily life. To try to become aware of those occasions when you engage in any sort of false speech. Well, first of all, to become aware of it. As you became aware of it, I ask you to begin to try to discern what the motivations were, what was driving you to choose to uh, speak in a way that, was, that included some element of falsehood. And then, if you got good at that, then I, I ask you to experiment with refraining from engaging in false speech to see what would happen. And so I'd like to hear back from you how that went. Yeah. This is very interesting. Um, I, I was aware that I acted, I had the impulse of false speech three times. I can remember two of them quite well. I'll just tell one. Um, someone I know well called me up, and I actually was about to call them, or I was going to text them, actually, because I thought that would be easier. And I, I said, oh, Hi, I was about to call you. And I thought to myself, at that moment, no, I didn't say to text them because that would have been easier. <laughs> and why did I, so I changed it right there. I said, actually, I was going to text you. But I'm glad you called. <laughs> and, <laughs> no, but I was very aware of it. And then later I thought, why did I do that? Well, I felt guilty. I had a sense of guilt because I needed to make contact with this person. I had uh, double feelings about making the contact. I felt I should be in contact, and that's why I started to do that. Uh-huh. And, um, and I noticed that kind of thing couple of other times. Uh, one was today, actually. Um, someone asked me, oh, are you free that that time to come to Prescott and visit? Mm-hmm. And I knew <coughs> that 
my husband didn't know about. And I knew that he probably couldn't anyway because it was during the week and he had to work. So what I wanted to say, what I would have said in the past was, oh, Steve has work in the window. I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for inviting us. But I didn't. I said, I'm not sure if Steve has work or not. He says, I wasn't. And I'm going to check with him and I'm going to let him know. And I did. And I told him. Actually, fortunately, he did. <laughs> uh, so that was, I guess, I would have in the past wanted to make an, an easy social lie, but it really didn't feel good. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe this is just way too. Maybe the splitting hairs. I don't know. It was very interesting. Very interesting to observe. But. And if you keep observing, you're going to discover many, many more interesting things. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Just a little question. Okay, you you caught yourself two times. Actually, three. I don't remember. Okay, but what I was going to ask is, do you think those were the only occasions? Honestly, to, to my my consciousness, I think yes. Okay. Yeah. So the, the, the value of, uh, of, for one thing, it's, it gives you something to practice being mindful of, but the value of continuing to observe this is you're going to discover more and more about your motivations and the inner workings of your mind. And keep in mind, it's, it's not about, you know, there's somehow something wrong uh, with uh, false speech, and therefore you should never ever engage in small and false speech. You may come to that conclusion, right? But it's it's about discovering. It's about penetrating. It's about becoming more mindful and seeing more deeply into yourself and your motivation. And how easy it is to just kind of roll over and say things that aren't exactly yeah. So false speech includes exaggerations, it includes omissions, it includes uh, white lies. All of these times when you are in one way or another intentionally altering, attempting to alter somebody else's perception of the way things are. Uh, someone else like to share their experience? Yeah. Really, I wasn't here, but I, I, I know what you're talking about. Uh, I found a, a tendency of mine, and I think it's because when I was growing up, I read a lot and I enjoyed vibrant stories, and you know, I participated in drama and, and wrote. I find that when I tell a story, I like to. And there are many different ways to interpret events. I find sometimes that when I have a story to tell, and I'm not quite sure precisely what happened, or perhaps there's no way of knowing precisely what happened, I will, among a series of possible uh, interpretations, choose that which... I know my listener will find most enjoyable, <laughs> and which creates a most aesthetically pleasing story. Uh, and part of the mind enjoys doing that. It's like, oh, I've entertained them, they're enjoying themselves, and I'm enjoying myself, it's regaling, you know, whatever. But another part of the mind is like, no, that's not true. I could have appended like t- 10 qualifiers to that story. And um, I actually find that there's also this tendency in the mind to like want to be like totally scrupulous with speech, mm-hmm. to like really almost like split hairs such that my listener would begin to nod off because I want to be you know totally accurate. So um, it's an interesting problem because like, speech doesn't correspond to how things are precisely, and one can't really help but, uh, but, but having false speech because speech is innately false in certain senses. So that's very good, the point yeah. that you're making, yeah. is that, is there really ever anything, I mean, is, isn't speech always 
some kind of interpretation. Like you said, you don't even really always know what the truth is. And so it always brings an interpretation with it. And there's a lot of different ways you can say the same thing. You can, you can <laughs> recount the same incident to three different people at three different times and, and, and hear yourself telling it in a different way. And it's not necessarily that, that you're lying or anything. It's that they're, they're just, there's more than one uh, version. So in that sense, that's a very good, very good thing to be aware of. The discovery that they, you know, the, the, to be scrupulously uh, accurate in everything you say is, uh, it's impossible. So, and all of a sudden it becomes relative. Well, then how scrupulously accurate should you be? And I just keep reminding you, there's no moral and ju moral judgment involved in that. We have a professional storyteller here, and would, would you consider the stories he tells uh, false speech? There's <laughs> 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 a story about that. <laughs> Does intent yeah. play a big part of this? Yeah. What's that? Does intent play a big part of this? Intent. That's that's really what that's really what we want to get to. In that is is since there's so many different ways that you could convey a message, then what leads you to choose one way versus another? Entertainment. Sometimes it is. You're already entertaining yourself, entertaining somebody <coughs> else. So if you embellish a story in order to entertain somebody else to make them happy. You know, is that a bad thing? No. But but if the same embellishment is no. is uh, put into the story for self-aggrandizement or something like that, it might uh, generate a different outcome. It, it will definitely generate a different outcome. <laughs> it, it will it will feed your addiction to making yourself look good, <laughs> which will also feed your tendency to feel bad when you don't look good. <laughs> But that's, I think, inherent in the entertainment piece as well, because as an <laughs> entertainer, in some sense, you know, it's very clear how much ego is involved in that, yeah. and how good it feels in a very giving way to have someone be happy and enjoy themselves because of whatever you're telling them, you know, but also how there's an element of control there, there's an element of, like, oh, I'm special, so I'm entertaining them, you know, there's a lot of other stuff that's always wrapped right. in there. Yeah. You know, I was looking at my my birth certificate the other day. And <laughs> <laughs> I was going through the records, right, and found my birth certificate. And there it was, right? Very small print under my middle name. Exaggeration and embellishment. <laughs> well, you got intention is, is a really interesting thing because you can have, like, two people saying the exact same words in the exact same situation, and depending on what their intention is, for one person it would be right speech, and for one person it would be false speech. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. That's right. So, that's a very good example. It's not, it's not the action of the speech itself. It's the intention behind it that is most important in terms of the, of the speaker. Yes. Last Thursday, uh, we had discussion about about the homework, and it was discussed uh, about police officers. Mm -hmm. And I've just been thinking about it a lot lately, and I, I just, it, some of, it just struck me that police officers are trained to lie. They're the opposite of what we're doing, <laughs> and they're part of this social construct for our society. And I, it makes me wonder, what does it do to one's one's mind when they when they are constantly lying? And it, and it wasn't a very pleasant thought that occurred to me. Mm -hmm. And I was able to catch myself lying quite a bit more after thinking about it. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. You know, if if you ever get stopped for speeding, the first thing the officer says when you roll down your window is. <laughs> 
do you know how fast you are going? <laughs> I always wonder. Are, are they just just trying to sucker you into the line so feel better about writing a ticket? Or <laughs> maybe maybe they're evaluating your mindfulness. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what what else has anybody? Yes. I think my maybe it's worth have someone say. And most people are not listening to what you say anyway. <laughs> <laughs> or what you say is misinterpreted like the devil over here said. So it's basically, you know, the, the impact of what we say is probably not nearly as great as what we think it is. Well, uh, you know, that's, that's really a good point, that your, your carefully crafted misrepresentation sometimes doesn't do it. <laughs> The other person was thinking of something. They were thinking about their carefully crafted misrepresentation. <laughs> you know, I've got a little twist on it. Something that, that keeps recurring in my life. I keep saying things and people believe me. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I've never understood that. Because you, you, <laughs> you never believe what someone like you said. Right? <laughs> exactly. And it's, and, it's a, and it's a little twist on... Um, right speech. Because yeah. I'm not sure half the things I say are just, you know, just stuff. Mm-hmm. The other half are pretty good. <laughs> so, so what's wrong with false speech? It seems like if the intention is of a certain kind, then you're reinforcing a certain part of yourself. You know, so if the intention is to make yourself seem a certain way, if you're, and if it's coming out of fear, if it's coming out of shame, if it's coming out of whatever it is, you're reinforcing that part of yourself. Yeah. No matter where it's coming from, uh, and the only reason that you would uh, intentionally misrepresent something is, you know, it has some goal behind it, uh, but the goal isn't necessarily always self-centered. And it usually ends up causing suffering for yourself and or the other person or whatever, is what I've noticed, is the suffering that (coughs) happens. Yeah, what are some of the ways? Well, we talked about one, which is that you're you're reinforcing these tendencies in yourself. What are the other forms of suffering it causes for you? Well, I, I was focusing when you gave us a homework assignment, and even before that, on exaggeration. I had a real problem with exaggeration, because I like to tell stories and make people laugh and, and be happy. But what I used, the way I did it was by exaggerating. And I realized a lot of it just wasn't true. It made people laugh, but it wasn't true. And I wasn't a professional entertainer doing it. I mean, I was just... <laughs> You know, and it, it, in the end, I realized I would get carried away, and it was I was lying, mm-hmm. and it was it was wrong. It felt it felt wrong later. I mean, it just didn't feel good to me because I knew I got carried away, too carried away, maybe. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people believe me, and it was like, oh my God, what kind of impact am I really having here? It was never bad stuff I was exaggerating about. I was trying to make them laugh, but nonetheless, it was dishonest. So I caused myself to suffer in the end when I really became aware of what was was going on. And I haven't done it for a while now. Uh, you know, a couple of days. Is that exaggeration? <laughs> <laughs> no. But I don't get out much. I see it. I don't get out much. 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 I don't get out dialogue and how it plays out and um, how I'm experiencing or do experience all of these actually as divisive when the voices start going and telling each other 
hear different versions of what's going on, or what I should do, or how this person wronged me, or whatever the, the story might be. And then there's another part that can come right in and accuse that part of lying, and they aren't seeing the truth. And, you know, the immediate, what we were talking about earlier, the immediate obvious relativity of all of these perspectives and how they genuinely believe what they have experienced is it. And how it's so divisive, just the, the experience of all of that. And, and so coming out of that and into this larger sense of um, a loving intention and, and holding the intention of, of unifying all of those voices and, and, and the process for self-communication and then external communication eliminates the divisiveness and all that sort of, it becomes this much more holistic kind of thing, which does happen too. But a lot of the time it's that divisive stuff. Do any of you ever find yourself lying to yourself? Every <laughs> day. <laughs> yeah, very often, huh? Oh, yeah. The good news is that um, I notice I'm catching it more, more often. Woohoo! <laughs> Progress. Do you like it when somebody lies to you? No? How about when somebody tells a little white lie to you? Do you like it? Depends. Because you usually know what they're doing and they're trying to protect you with their you know, your feelings or their feelings or whatever. And it's like, okay, yeah. whatever. Just let it go. Yeah, right. But in, in general we most of the time, there's always exceptions, but most of the time, just knowing that somebody is intentionally lying to you is just knowing that makes you unhappy, right? We just, we don't like it. And of course, very often, we can, when we become aware of that, we become aware of the intention to manipulate, take advantage, exploit, Deceived uh, in, in some way to that person's advantage. So, uh, false speech can do a lot of harm. Yeah. Um, I recently had an interview, and it was my first in many, many years. And the woman that was interviewing me asked me something that I wasn't prepared to. And she asked me, so tell me, what did you do at high school? What did you do? And I was ready to answer questions about what I knew about my job and what I've been doing recently. And it just caught me flat footed. And I found myself telling her things that were coming from a place of, I almost had an apologetic tone. I was coming from a place of some shame. And I was thinking right now, is that all speech? Because that wasn't really an accurate reflection of all the other things I've done in my life that might be coming from a place of empowerment. So I guess I'm just thinking of it. Yeah. Well, it's just occurring to me when you're talking about lying to yourself and what you're talking about, and my head will go, you know, not as much as it involves other people, although I might ask people what it would be, what is the truth of the situation? And then I think, like, how do I feel about something or this thing? And then I'll go, oh, that's the truth. And then you sit with it, and you go, no, that's not the truth at all. Like, you made that up, or that boy, it's a lie. And that just, that just sort of can cycle endlessly. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if that has to do with truth and lying or lies, or, or if it has to do with, with the nature of meditation when you sit with things enough that it, put, I mean, it all seems like sitting then that eventually you get to the point where that, that stops. And it's really not verbal at all, but it's, uh, it's 
something very different where you don't have to address it with those words and find the truth in lies. It's very annoying. When you ask the question, uh, what's wrong with false speech? Um, I'd like to say there's nothing wrong with it, just because automatically, and say, if we say there's something wrong, then I want to, then I'm going to go right to judgment, like judging myself and judging another person, and that's where then I either want to, then I'll get guilty or want to shame somebody. So I like, I like what Tessa said last week about looking at it more like skilled or unskilled. And so then from that space, I could then, you know, not beat myself up or somebody else up for something that we're all very skilled at, yeah. you know, we're all skilled at lying to some, some degree or another. Well, yeah, that's one, one of the points to recognize in this is, is you know, that there are so many gradations and degrees, you know, and, and communication is... You can never, or you can rarely, what you're communicating is so simple that you can communicate it in a total veracity. So, speech is a huge gray area. And it's not a question of false speech versus not false speech. It's a question of all kinds of degrees of falseness and all kinds of different <laughs> ways it can be false. But also, it's not considering that it's all different degrees, it's not black and white, then, yeah, there, uh, there's nothing wrong with false speech, per se. But what's wrong, what, what we could say that there's something wrong with is doing something that <coughs> causes anybody else some form of suffering, or doing, uh, a, uh, or saying anything that causes ourselves some sort of harm. And we do we do shape who we are continuously through everything we do and say. And so in your speech, the the falseness of all of your speech is uh, what you have to be concerned with is what effect is it having on you? What kind of person is it making you into? That's why you have to look at what your reasons are. Because you, you can tell a great story and it's to make somebody else happy. You can uh, you can say something that's blatantly not true, but your purpose and your intention is to do something that is somehow is going to be beneficial to another person. So really in terms of rightness or wrongness, we just come back to the simple thing is is it causing harm? to yourself or to someone else, you know, and to the degree that it's causing harm to yourself or somebody else, then it partakes of some wrongness, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not so simple as we like to believe. I, mean, I think you've discovered that looking at it. Yeah. some pathways that we, we may not want to have strengthened. 
and uh, uh, even even also that may in and of themselves, seen in isolation, not be terribly harmful or unskillful, uh, such a good word. But in aggregate, they can be pretty devastating, I suspect. Yeah. Well, what you've always said to me is always not examine your motivations. Yeah, right. <laughs> examine your motivations because to the greatest degree of harm that you do to yourself is going to come from your motivation. Although there's other things too. Why do you embellish things? Sometimes the, the purpose is to feel closer to somebody, but as somebody said, you find you embellish things and do to you in order to make it more interesting and, and you really your underlying desire is to draw closer to them, but then afterwards you really, oh no, I, I cut myself off from them because I created this this falsehood. So you harm harm yourself in a lot of ways and harm others. But observing your speech, I, I think there probably is a reason why uh, in these three, uh, right speech came first before right action and right livelihood. And that's because uh, we engage in various forms of wrong speech uh, constantly. Now, you know, I, hopefully what some of you would have discovered is that is just how often uh, more than you had realized before that, that this is happening. And it's a window into things about yourself. It's, uh, one thing is yeah, you can learn a lot about yourself by simply becoming aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Now you understand yourself a lot better. You know what your what your fears are, your desires, your aversions, so on and so forth. You know yourself a lot better. Then we come to the part of, that, of refraining from it. You know, and, and it's important to observe what you do and the different forms it takes and the motivations behind it first and to get some understanding there. And then start experimenting with what happens if you don't do it. And you have to be aware you're doing it first. <laughs> and uh, you should be aware of why you're doing it and then you can refrain from doing it and, and see what the consequences are. The other thing that comes from refraining from doing it is uh, you would really like to be honest with yourself, right? How can you ever be honest with yourself if you're not honest with other people? Right? So keep practicing that. Yes. And you realize that what your what your real situation is is not to be the guardian of your tongue and to only speak the truth. It's to weigh all the pros and cons and 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 actually to uh, discover what the various alternatives are. How what are the other ways that you could achieve the same goal that might be more skillful and, and better? Is daydreaming idle speech? Is what? Daydreaming. Uh, I, I'm prone to, to the daydreaming. Yeah. <laughs> and I tell myself stories about the things that surround me as I daydream. And yeah. sometimes I catch myself and I'm like, oh, that's not truthful. Yeah. Well, whether or not daydreaming is idle speech or not, you know, I mean, kind of how you want to define things. But, uh, 
daydreaming does involve some of the same uh, negative aspects of idle speech. So let's look at the other aspects of, of right speech. First of all, we've looked at, at lying, false speech. But the Buddha had some other things to say about right speech, too. He, uh, he suggested that, well, he said of himself that what I say, it's not enough that it's true. It has to be helpful. It has to be helpful. And it has to be spoken at the right time. Like a good marriage counselor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, it's the, the you know uh, it's the flip side of not using speech in ways that are harmful to yourself or to others. It's, uh, it's instead using speech in ways that are beneficial to yourself and to others, and that even can include refraining refraining from speaking sometimes. Once again, it's, a, it's always a judgment call because it, it, am I practicing good speech by not saying something uh, uh, because it isn't helpful or it's not the right time? Or am I, is it an act of false speech through omission? And you have to decide that for yourself. And you'll make mistakes, but it's only through being aware and, and having the intention taking a, a precept against uh, wrong speech becomes a practice by which you develop self-aware, you deepen your understanding of yourself, and then ultimately you change yourself. So for all of these things, there's the negative side, but then there's the positive side as well. Yeah? I've been thinking about what we're saying, about what we've been saying in terms of a verse that I recall from the sutras, and it basically goes... If it's false and unhelpful, don't say it. If it's false and helpful, don't say it. If it's truthful and unhelpful, don't say it. If it's truthful and helpful, wait till the right, right time. time. <laughs> <laughs> but I was thinking about the second stanza. If it's false and helpful, don't say it. Am I remembering that correctly? I, I, I believe so. Yeah. That would superficially seem to contradict some of the things that we've said here tonight. <laughs> well, uh, and because it is, it, it's at the level of, of rules. It's making things more cut and dry than they really are. It's uh, it, it's setting up some guidelines. But what we want to realize is that is that nothing's ever that that simple. The guidelines themselves are subject to the is it helpful. Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's also subject to recognizing that that it is very rare that something is 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 completely and totally true. There's an element, there's some element of of uh, constructed representation in everything you say. Because it's speech. Yeah. So in that regard, if you wanted to rigidly keep that second as a axiom, you almost never say anything because unless it was it, it, it totally contained absolutely no vestige of uh, uh, inaccuracy to it. Yeah? It seems to me like the root of a lot of this is um, compassion. It, it's compassion. Like, compassion for ourselves and others. Um, yeah. That's, that's comes from not harming ourselves and others. Yeah. Yeah, which... I was thinking about trust and how one develops trust in our own judgment, our own um, honesty, and uh, in others, yeah. and how that ultimately, for me, just comes from compassion. Um, well, <laughs> working on compassion, yeah. compassion, especially self-compassion. Is a tough one in our society, especially um, 
considering the difficulties that a lot of people live through. And considering this is all an illusion, and considering that our memories are, are completely based on illusion too, or illusion, uh, memory is such a construct to begin with. So, yeah, I mean, developing that trust in what is real, what is true. I mean, I just keep coming back to uh, getting more grounded and, uh, and comfortable with being present in the moment and right. meditation and um, compassion. The, the part about observing others is really important. Well, first of all, what you do is reflected back to you. So if, if you do your best not to engage in, in false speak and to, to use speech properly, people are going to trust you and they're going to like you. And if it's coming from a place of compassion, then, then that's going to be reflected back to you. But the other thing, other part of your mindfulness, your observation, is observing other people. Uh, do, you, do you often know that somebody else is exaggerating, embellishing, leaving things out, distorting things, just plain lying? How often are you aware of that? Of course, you don't know about the times you don't know about it, but, <laughs> <laughs> but do you not see it happening around you all the time? And a lot of times we tend to overlook it, but do we really overlook it? Or do you form a judgment about a person based on what you see? If you see them always trying to boost your image of them and everything they say, it has an effect on your perception of them after a while, right? You know, we, we start to feel uh, annoyed when we're old, doing that thing again, eating their own drum. <laughs> So, it's really important to observe other people and see yourself in them and say, and say to yourself, okay, I've done the same thing, I'm doing the same thing, and the reaction that I'm having to them, that's the reaction that, they're having, that other people are having to me. That makes it a lot easier to, uh, I mean, one of the lies that we tell to ourselves is that, is, is that all these misrepresentations that we're feeding out to the world are benefiting us. It helps to discover that they're not really benefiting us to the degree that we thought they were. So let's look at the other aspects of right speech. Is the negative side is not engaging in divisive speech. And is that... Uh, nobody here ever does that, right? Could you define divisive speech? Yes, I'll define divisive speech as that is speech that is intended to alter somebody's, one person's perception of another person in a negative way. I think that's really interesting uh, because it seems a lot of people don't see divisive speech as wrong. It's, a, it's an art form. You turn on the news. It's that's right. The, the intention about it, the intention of what you see uh, is to create divisiveness. Yeah. And, you know, uh, yes, it's, it's an art form and the news and, and politicians and things like that. We're exposed to a lot of it. And so it's very easy to, uh, it's bad when somebody else does it, you know, but it's all right when we do it. But you take this, you know, a group of coworkers sitting around having coffee, and a lot of what they're doing is engaging in divisive speech. Now, once again, you want to look at the motives for that. If you're engaging, there's, you know, you could be saying something really vicious about somebody because, you know, and, and your intent is really clear that, okay, I don't want anybody like this person anymore, so I'm going to say whatever I can to turn them against them. So that's, that's one kind of divisive speech. But there's another thing that we do very subtly, you know, a group of co-workers sitting around having coffee and talking about somebody else, and they don't necessarily even dislike that person that much, but they use divisive speech 
as a way of bonding, right? Anybody here ever done that? Isn't that the absolute root of antithetical bonding? Uh, it is. That's right. One of the ways that we bond with each other, is we're creating an us versus them. And so, you know, you and me, we're bros, because <laughs> we're apart from, from them. And I do that all the time. So there's a lot of really subtle forms of divisive speech. You get annoyed at somebody and you make some critical, disparaging comment. Seems like no big deal. It's just a way of, you know, letting off some of your own internal pressure. But it is divisive. And it potentially has negative effects on that person. Well, and on the person that you're speaking to. It might, uh, it, it, to the degree that it alters their perception of this other person, it, it might actually lead to consequences that are harmful, not just to, to the third party, but to the party that you're influencing. But then, when somebody is speaking divisively about someone else, do you know it? You pretty well do, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, most of the time. And don't you, after if you hear somebody often speaking divisively about other people, doesn't that affect the, your opinion of that person? You start to see them. Stay away from them. Yeah. yeah. And, and at some point you realize, well, gee, if they're saying that about everybody else to me, what are they saying about me? <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I've noticed about gossip was when somebody was telling me something, how, how someone else had grieved them or harmed them in some way. And they told me about that. And then some time went by, and I'm stuck with that, with that impression, okay? Well, what happens is, in many cases, that the party that grieved them apologizes, okay? And, and recognizes whatever had happened, and smooths it over, apologizes, whatever. But I don't learn that part. <laughs> I'm still stuck with the gossip. That's right, you're still stuck with the gossip, exactly. Okay, so I want you to think about divisive speech and become aware of divisive speech and all of its different forms and the motives that drive it. And in divisive speech, you know, sometimes it's the desire motive. That's, it's a form of bonding. But other times it's coming just straight from ill will, aversion, dislike. So you become aware of these things in yourself. And then when you can catch yourself doing this, See what happens when you refrain from it, and see uh, see if you can move in that direction. <coughs> yeah. We have time to answer this question. Can you say something about divisive speech that we do as individuals? Of what? Can you say something about divisive speech that we do to ourselves? We do uh, to ourselves. Like uh, self-critical things that we say. We we yes. As a matter of fact, I I think I'll let maybe I'll let you. Bring that up and talk about that more next week after everyone's had a chance to work with this a little bit. Uh, I knew that was going to happen. Okay. So inevitable. The other thing is, just very quickly, is uh, harsh speech. All the different ways speech, and now harsh speech, harsh speech is that causes somebody else some kind of pain, some kind of suffering. And so it can be in the tone of voice, but it can be in the content. But the point is that what you say is causing some kind of injury to someone. And you need to become aware of that. And then you need to get in touch with the motives that drive that, which are pretty negative motives. There's a positive side to... Uh, a flip side to divisive speech and a flip side to harsh speech. Which the flip side to divisive speech is what? 
unifying, unifying people, bringing people together, praising, praising people who aren't there to the people that are there, pointing out their good qualities, bringing people together, cultivating attitudes of love, acceptance, patience, so on and so forth. The positive side, the flip side of harsh speech is what uh, referred to uh, in the sutras is speaking with the honey tongue. Mm-hmm. The same way that your tone of voice or the words that you use can injure, they can also soothe. They can also benefit other people. That's, that's another thing, is that you can use speech in ways that are helpful. You can, you can guide somebody else. You can, there's all kinds of things. So maybe we'll have to leave comments about gossip and idle speech for another time. But I would like you to focus on all these different aspects of uh, right speech in your daily life. And you might even want to start taking some notes. You see, this, if you do this properly, you can become so much more mindfully aware. And that's going to have so many payoffs in, in other ways. So not just necessarily to do with speech and how you use speech, but it's just being mindful. You'll know you're being mindful if you can't, if you're not able to jot down all the times during the day that you engage in some kind of uh, speech that is not good. And then if you do that for a little while, if you, if you become even more mindful, then it'll start to go the other way, that there will be fewer and fewer of those times and the instances that you're using speech in, uh, in a way that you shouldn't, uh, they'll become much more minor. I, I, I could tell that from the discussion we had that nobody in this room ever tells real lies. We only just, you know, little white lies and these sort of things and so forth, right? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I didn't expect anybody to say, well, you know. <laughs> but, I mean, but really, get to know yourself. Use this as a tool to get to know yourself and become more mindful, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you very much.